Welcome to Start, Scale, Sustain, a story-driven podcast for nonprofit leaders and entrepreneurs. I'm your producer, Molly Heacock, and I'm here with Justin Miller, the co-founder and CEO of Care for AIDS. Thanks, Molly. I'm excited today to dive into a topic that was instrumental in my scaling of Care for AIDS, and that topic is the tensions and the trade-offs that we must face as entrepreneurs as we try to scale our venture, and I look forward to unpacking that today. Awesome. Well, we are transitioning from the start phase of the podcast to talk about scaling. What does it take to get bigger? How can leaders face the challenges that come with scale? And so before we get into tensions, Justin, can you give us a little bit of insight into when that startup phase ends and when the scaling phase begins in an organization? Well, I would say the the biggest thing that caps off your start phase is the proof of your concept or whatever it is that you're trying to do, a big part of that is is actually proving that this does work and that we can get the results that we want. And so I think when you've gotten to that point where you've uh, proven your model or your concept, then you have to start looking at how do you replicate that? And is it through some kind of integration strategy? Is it through just replication? Um, How quickly the scope and the sequence of things that you need to do? There's a lot of questions that go into how to scale. We can talk about some of those today, but uh, I think that would be the differentiator in my mind between uh, a a concept that is still in that testing and and proving phase as opposed to one that has uh, been proven and is looking to scale. Awesome. Well, I know at Care for AIDS a couple of years ago, we went through a process of refreshing our core values and key behaviors. And what we landed on were these four words, and they kind of inherently all lie in tension with one another. And so the two sets of words are innovation and excellence and results and relationships. Tell us a little bit more about that process, what that means to Care for AIDS, and how you as a leader over the course of the past 10 years have been practicing managing those tensions? Well, I think my team gets tired of me talking about tensions. This was something that I don't think I had the language around until Andy Stanley introduced the concept to me uh, a few years back where he talked about leaders being able to determine the difference between problems that need to be solved and tensions that needed to be managed. And when you name a tension, it somewhat diffuses the problem that exists and lets you and those on your team realize that this isn't something that's going to reach a resolution, but it's something that every single day we're going to have to deal with. And it sometimes we maybe feel like we're leaning into one side of that tension too much and we need to pull back towards the middle, but it's not ever something that's going to go away. And that's okay. I think we have to uh, accept that and, and then lean into that tension. And so when we created these core values, which they sound pretty bland, honestly, in terms of the terms that they use. They're pretty commonplace terms, excellence and innovation and results and relationships, but they were created by design because we wanted to highlight two important tensions that we always wanted to be present in our organization. The first is results and relationships. We want to be an organization that's outcome driven, that's focused on producing the best results that we can for the clients that we serve in Kenya, but we're not willing to do that at the expense of the people on our team, our partners, our donors, or the clients that we serve, we want people to be the most important thing. And so we have to hold those in tension. We can't see results at the expense of people. And we also can't just love on people without actually seeing some kind of tangible results from our work. So those that was one of the, the tensions that we faced. 
And then the second part of this is the innovation and excellence, which those two words, they actually lie in somewhat of a, uh, with conflict with each other. Excellence is about constantly improving a process that's already known and, and making that better and more efficient. The innovation side is disruptive. Let's try to do something completely new and different and uh, disrupt our current process. And it's a little bit messy and it's full of failure, but you're trying to, in excellence, you're trying to take out, minimize the amount of failure that you're experiencing because it's something that's repeatable. And so we always want to remember as an organization that we want to be an organization that is not just content with making our, all of our processes excellent um, and, and leaving it there. And, but we also want to be an organization that focuses on how do we continue to push ahead and try new things and attempt things that might be, might be risky and might fail, but not be lulled into a place of complacency as we get bigger there's definitely a lot more pressure to say, Hey, do this safe thing. Just become really good at what you're doing now, but don't challenge the status quo. And we believe we've only made it to this point because we've taken those risks and we've tried to innovate and we don't want to lose that as we scale. So I know that, you know, at CareFrades, we are still kind of, we're still in that scale phase. We're still growing, still trying to innovate and produce excellent results. What are some tensions that you have felt over the history of Care for AIDS and still feel today that you think would resonate with our listeners, whether they're in that start phase or in that scale phase? Yeah, I could name so many. To name a few that I think would resonate with people, uh, we always feel that tension between our, our work and our family. We feel the tension between our current job and maybe some of you who are listening and that new vision that you want to chase. How do you allocate your time in an organizational setting? How do we allocate capital across our programs and our fundraising and are, are we cheating our beneficiaries if we keep money to invest in uh, our administration and our fundraising here in the u.s and and the list goes on and on i mean i remember in the early days of care it's do you invest in building these systems or do you just makeshift solutions to help you kind of patch things until you can go to the next level. And you're constantly feeling uh, your time, your resources, your people, how to best allocate them uh, to create the maximum impact is attention is something that you will wrestle with at every stage of your organization, but that's never more pronounced than it is in during that scaling phase. So in those early days when, you know, resources were tight, it was just you give me some specific examples of when you really felt the tension. Well, for those of you listening who are in the nonprofit space, I think you'll relate to this one really, really well. We were in a, a very early phase where our budget was about $200,000. And we knew that storytelling and media and marketing was the currency that was going to help us be able to take care of to the next level. But we were still so small that it felt wrong about taking resources from this fledgling uh, program on the ground to invest in our branding and our messaging. And so we, we made a decision that thankfully was supported by the board, but it, but it was a tough decision for me to arrive at, which is we were going to spend about $50,000 to design and produce the CareFrade story and all the collateral that comes with that. And that was a good 20% of our budget that year, 25%, which felt like a massive amount of money, uh, a lot more than I was making at the time with care for AIDS. And we were going to put that into, into the storytelling piece. And that was 
that was one of these excellence plays where we were trying to give confidence to uh, our donors that we were not going to compromise on the excellence of our our materials and our storytelling in the same way we weren't going to compromise on the effectiveness of our model in Kenya. And and it is, it, that was a reflection on how we approached problems and challenges in Kenya. And we wanted them to know that we have that same commitment to excellence in the way that we tell our story as well. And so that was a tough decision, one that 50,000 that could have been sent to the field and, and could have provided some program support for a few months. But in the end, that investment was one that catapulted us into a lot of a lot more relationships and established us uh, as a very credible organization, despite the fact that we were still very young. And uh, quite frankly, we didn't, we probably looked a lot better on paper than we did uh, behind the scenes, but it was, it was an investment that was, was worth making to lean into that excellence piece a little bit more. I love that. There's that tension between the cost of presenting excellence and sometimes feeling like you're cheating the program. Tell me about some some more of those decisions that you've come up against in the past 10 years of Care for AIDS and if there's any that you wish you had made a different decision or just really anecdotes that can help our listeners kind of get a better flavor for how that feels. Well, I would say that in these early phases of organizations, in the start and the scale phase, that is a place that is very fertile for innovation to occur. I think it was Craig Groeschel that was talking a few years back about the right kind of environment that would foster that kind of innovation. And he said there there needs to be a scarcity of resources um, that obviously forces you uh, to to innovate in ways that you wouldn't if you had plentiful resources. There also needs to be a, a willingness to fail, which we also had internally. And there needs to be a drive and hunger for the mission that is so great that you can't accept Uh, failure at any cost. And so I think there was that right environment in care phrase in the beginning where we did have a few breakthroughs on the innovation side that that were really uh, neat for the organization. One of them was we wanted to engage, we, we needed people to engage by partnering with us financially, but we did not have the network that had the resources to do that. We were all in college and we were looking to our college classmates to say, Hey, come and and join us and help us on this, but we don't need your time. We need your money. And so we started looking at what do these college students possess that they could potentially contribute to care phrase that would have some monetary value for the organization. And out of that grew this concept called the textbook drive, which was, we were, you know, obviously just trying to pull this together. We were pretty scrappy in those days. And we decided that we would commission ambassadors on these different campuses to uh, promote and advocate for Care for AIDS and encourage their their peers to donate their textbooks to Care for AIDS at the end of the semester. And then we would resell those and use those uh, proceeds to go and support our cause in Kenya. And this idea born out of a few college students who had scarce resources, who were willing to fail and who desperately wanted to see their vision succeed, that program grew to be on about 30 campuses and was raising about $200,000 a year, which was a ton of money for us during those days. And it still is. And that is just one example of how we had to 
to lean into this innovation idea and say, Hey, we don't want to just accept that this is how fundraising has always been done. And so we're going to do it that way. And, and that produced uh, an amazing outcome, but we were still committed to doing that program with excellence. We weren't going to compromise on the excellence piece um, in this, in the name of innovation. And I think a lot of organizations as they grow, they will accept mediocrity in some areas because they say, Hey, that's just a product of, growth and the organization moving so quickly. But I think to be relentless in focusing on, on excellence in everything you do is something that as you go through the scaling phase will serve the organization and the culture really, really well. Once you kind of get through the craziness that is the scale phase. I love that so much. Yeah. It's that perfect combination of being hungry, being not having the resources, getting creative that produces some really cool innovation. Uh, speaking of Craig Groeschel, he shared one of the funniest stories about early on in his church, kind of how he leveraged innovation because they didn't have the resources that they needed. Uh, I want you to tell that story because you tell it better than I do. <laughs> I may not do justice to the story, but I love the the premise behind it, which is that the mission of what we're trying to do is sacred, but we're willing to really take on any method necessary within reason to kind of get, uh, to get our mission and our message out there. And Craig told this story about how they really wanted to get people logging on to watch their church services on Sunday morning. And they were not getting the traction on their Google AdWords that they were hoping. And so they decided to buy a bunch of ads for, uh, that would be, they would have their church's name and advertisement come up if people search for naked ladies. (laughs) Uh, which is so out there and, and radical, but you know they would have a little banner on the side that'd say if someone searched for that, it'd say, you know, are you looking for a church or do you should you know do you need to go to church? And uh, and people were finding them and joining their their church online on Sunday mornings and and so pretty dramatic example. But when you have these um, this right environment, um, you know those are that's a great opportunity. And one of the reasons why I think Carefreed's was so successful is that we, we didn't come into the organization with a ton of previous preconceptions about this issue. We didn't have a ton of resources. We didn't have a ton of connections. So it forced us to, um, to innovate and and create in an environment that was very different than if we had come in with a lot of, uh, previous experience with HIV or connections or resources that would have been very different. That's fantastic. Yeah, that it's almost like that scale phase while it feels so painful. I think a lot of organizations were in that when they're in that sustaining phase, they kind of look back on those years of scaling with like a sense of like, oh, those were the good old days because we were so creative. We didn't have all the money in the world. We didn't have all the people in the world. So we had to some of the best ideas are born out of that necessity, some of that grit that just forces you to get super creative and do weird online ads and create the textbook drive. Um, so I love that. I think that's such a cool, cool thing to learn from the beginning of that scaling phase. So we've talked a lot about innovation and excellence. Um, are there any other tensions that you would encourage our listeners to lean into if they're just entering into this scaling phase of their organization? Well, I will say for care for aids and other organizations, you know, there is such a thing as scaling too quickly. Uh, I believe, you know, and a lot of people are 
uh, those of you who are listening, maybe you're looking to scale something so you can make an exit. And, and there is a time and a place to, to kind of scale a company quickly and, and then, and then make a transition. Uh, but in the case of care for AIDS, we wanted to build a sustainable lasting organization. And at times scaling too quickly threatened to, uh, undermine a lot of what we were, we were building. And so that's another tension that you have to live with in scaling is, at some pace and speed, you will start to compromise on the people you hire, the systems you create, the services that you offer. And uh, I'll go back and reiterate what I said earlier is that you can't compromise on those issues um, in the process of scaling. And even if that means tempering your scale a little bit to be uh, at a pace where you personally as the leader can withstand that scaling process, which many a leader have, uh, have fallen in this process through scaling too quickly and, and burning out and not caring for themselves well. And we'll talk more about self-leadership in a later episode, but you've got to protect yourself in that scaling process. And you have to make sure that you're preparing the organization for future success. And that means paying very close attention to the, the quality of the work you're doing, the caliber of the talent that you're hiring, the type of culture that you're creating. And these are things that we'll unpack more at a later time, but these are big um, areas that often get compromised or overlooked during a scaling process. And, and I don't believe that you can uh, make those trade-offs and really see the organization thrive in the long term. You talked about a couple of weeks ago in an episode, there was a time in the early history of Care for AIDS where you know we'd gone from just like 10 centers to 28 or some crazy amount of scale in one year and that kind of forced a stall in growth because we had just neglected to develop certain processes and infrastructure tell me more about that phase and what you would have done differently looking back i love that question molly and i think the the answer is yes. We would have we would have slowed down. That would have been the simple answer: is to say, hey, we we don't need to do as much um, as quickly until we figure out some of these big questions. But I also believe that there were some things that we we made some compromises on that we could have done more of. We didn't invest as much in in measuring and monitoring like what was happening in the organization during that time. And so we didn't really have a good sense of where things were, were not working well. And, and I've shared a, a bunch of from Andy Stanley and he's been a, you know, someone I've, I've listened to and learned from a lot over the years, but he always says that if you don't know why something's working, you won't be able to fix it when it's broken. And I think during that time, I would have been a lot more intentional in looking at how are we, how are we measuring uh, what is success in our organization and trying to diagnose where things were breaking down as opposed to just running so fast that we didn't really know uh, when, when it all kind of started to, to crumble a little bit, we didn't exactly know how to fix it. So that would be one thing I would say uh, was important during that time to not, to not neglect and overlook. Well, now 10 years in, do you find that the tensions that you manage on a day-to-day basis are very different from those early years? Are you experiencing kind of the same tensions? What can our listeners look forward to 10 years down the road? Yeah, I think one of the things that is become more and more pronounced in this 
point in the organization is there is a, a tension between doing the work of the ministry yourself versus equipping others to do that. And it's kind of the difference between leading people and then leading leaders. And I think that is one of the the challenges that we, that I've wrestled with is I've always been very hands-on in the work of the donor development here in the U S but also what's happening in Kenya. And as we have grown to such a large organization, I've had to remove myself more and more from uh, those kind of day-to-day functions and had to focus more on the team that I'm building and the type of organization and culture that we're creating. And I think that continues to be a tension for me wanting to be pulled back down into uh, the front lines a little bit where things are really uh, exciting and, and a lot of ac- actions happening, but also remembering that I have to pull up. I have to be focused on developing the people on my team, recruiting the right leaders to join the team and helping to make sure there's a clear uh, vision that everyone is chasing and not lose myself in being down in the, uh, in the organization. And so those are, that's a new tension that we've probably faced more in the last couple of years than we did in those early days of care for AIDS. That's huge. Yeah. Avoiding what they call founder syndrome when the founder just can't let go of those day-to-day operations. I think that's a huge thing to get ahead of. And, um, you know, I think you manage that tension really well, but it is, it's certainly something that you don't think about just in the very beginning or even in the beginnings of that scale phase. So the good news is, I guess, that tension exists throughout the lifespan of an organization. You can't get rid of it. You can just manage it. And so what is your one last thought for today's podcast for our listeners about the tensions that they're going to experience at start, at scale, at sustain? Well, I hope you take comfort in knowing that those are going to be there uh, forever. And some of it's going to be the life stage of your organization. And some of it is going to be depending on the industry that you're in. We wrestle all the time with how much do we do for our clients in Kenya versus teaching them to do for themselves. And, and that's an, a never ending uh, debate that we, we wrestle with. And, and we may fall off one side of that and, and lean too heavily into one side of that tension, but then we try to, uh, to compensate and get back in the middle. And so I just encourage you, this is uh, as with everything in, in entrepreneurship, you are constantly experimenting, reinventing, and with some of these biases uh, of these tensions, you are going to feel pulled in one direction or the other, and that's okay. And if you if you miss it uh, one time, then uh, recalibrate and, and try again. You're gonna you're gonna accidentally cheat your family during a season, and you need to figure out. No, I need to to recalibrate. I'm not living well in that tension between my family and my work and um, all the tensions that we've talked about. Just know that this is a it's a constant struggle. It shouldn't be something that discourages you or uh, defeats you, but it's just something that you're going to have to to live within and, and work within. And uh, we're on that journey with you to try to figure out how to better uh, live and manage within these tensions that exist. That's right. Thanks so much, Justin. Next week, we're going to be talking about money. So we're super excited to kind of talk through fundraising with you guys. In the meantime, visit justintmiller.com. Connect with Justin on social media. um, Keep the conversation going. And we look forward to talking with you next week.